Greetings and welcome to episode 40 of the Unsupervised Learning Podcast. I'm Daniel Meisler and here's the information security news. So first of all, we had a LinkedIn breach from 2013, it looks like. 65.5 million emails disclosed and uh, salted and hashed passwords. Uh, so it looks like about half of those will be broken eventually. Uh, it looks like it's SHA-1 hashes salted and uh, about half of them are going to be pretty easy to break over some period of time. Uh, it's in the top three breaches. It, it actually might be number two. Um, could be number one. I can't remember, but a very, very big breach. If you haven't changed your LinkedIn password, you should definitely be doing that. Cross-site scripting vulnerability found in a WordPress plugin, in this case, Jetpack. Uh, Jetpack is a very popular plugin. It's actually got lots of different sub-modules. One of the things it does is speed up WordPress sites. But if you're running Jetpack, you need to make sure you are updated. Uh, not too surprising there with a flaw in a WordPress plugin. It's almost every week we talk about that. Uh, DerbyCon is going to stream live this year. Uh, very, very cool. So basically, uh, <laughs> they came out uh, a couple weeks back or maybe a week ago and said, you know, we sold out in 12 hours. And, you know, that's really annoying. And we're sorry for that. But what we're going to do is we're going to live stream every single talk for free to the entire world. Um, I wrote a, a blog post about it, um, basically describing the, how cool I thought it was. And um, Dave reached out and, you know, said he really appreciated it. Basically, what I talked about was this this is the model for the future. Like Every security conference should be doing this. And I love how DerbyCon is basically like the standard. Like, it, it's considered the standard. It's, it's the most coveted security conference. It's not the most popular. It's not the biggest. They don't have the most attendees, but it is respected the most. It sells out the fastest. And I think it's for reasons like this. It basically best embodies the information security community and its values. It's its best values, the best of what InfoSec can offer. Um, in terms of networking, in terms of quality talks, um, it, and this is just what I've heard, right? This is just from everyone I know who goes. Um, I'm actually going this year for the first time, which will be cool. But um, it's really interesting to see them take this step. It, I, I love it because um, it relates to something else that really bothers me, which is uh, universities. So you have you know MIT, Harvard, Stanford, all these really prestigious universities, and you have these highly paid, highly respected professors and they're giving these lectures on whatever topic to the people who could get into these schools. So they already have rich parents. They already have parents who have amazing jobs. They are already at the school and already have amazing jobs. They're, they're going to have amazing jobs. So they are set. Their parents are set. Their families are set. Their future kids are set. Yet these professors delivering these lectures in front of them, they're doing it privately. 
behind closed doors just for the privileged people who can be in the room? How much would it cost them to live stream every lecture from every top university? It wouldn't cost anything because someone like Google or Microsoft would pay for it. Um, hell, I donate money and we could pay for it ourselves in the tech community. Do have a Kickstarter or whatever. Like it's so easy to stream this stuff, put it on YouTube, whatever, put it in a better format, you know, iTunes University. It, it could go everywhere at the same time. That's the point. It'd be on the internet. Um, but that doesn't happen because they want to control that information. And I'm like, come on, these are liberal universities. They're supposed to be all about sharing information, but they're doing this stuff in private and just keeping it away from the world who needs it the most and, and giving it only to the people who need it the least. It's completely insane. So I, I think DerbyCon doing this live streaming model for conferences, hopefully this spreads you know, massively and quickly within the next couple of years. Every security conference should be shamed into doing the same thing. But I want to see the movement go to university. I want to see universities be, shame, be being shamed into having the same model for their uh, lectures. Um, especially the elite universities. All right, that was actually a topic for later on, but oh well, we covered it there. All right, websites using audio fingerprinting to track web users. This is interesting. Um, so a lot of people thought that what it was doing was listening to the microphone and then somehow tracking you based on your voice or something like that. It's not actually what they're doing. What they're doing is almost as cool and not nearly as scary. What they do is the website um, basically sends an audio tone and the audio tone plays. And based on how it plays on your computer, it knows what kind of sound system you have. So it's basically further fingerprinting your computer system, right? And using that to identify you. So it's not actually capturing anything and, and uploading anything. It's just using your, um, your audio subsystem as an additional um, identifier of you, which is uh, super sneaky and very cool and also not cool at the same time. Terrorists not showing advanced security tradecraft. So this is more posts from uh, the Gruck, who is an um, open source intelligence uh, specialist within our community. Uh, very, very cool posts all the time from this guy. And uh, he, he's basically listing the different ways that um, you know terrorists have been known to use technology. And he's pointing out how little they use encryption, um, even when there are reports of it, it's not really confirmed. Um, and this particular post, which I have in the notes, talks about how um, there's lots of use of burner phones. And he, he equates the technologies that are used to uh, the drug trade, uh, especially early drug trade, where it was all about the burner phones, right? And people have kind of moved on from that. But uh, the current terrorist model is kind of stuck in the past, um, 
old school drug trade type uh, tradecraft. Really interesting set of posts. You should definitely follow him on Medium and uh, on Twitter. GSM, GPRS, traffic interception piece. Uh, very cool article put out by NCC. Got the link in the notes. Basically talks about all the different ways you can capture GSM and GPRS um, while doing penetration testing. There's a real RoboCop in Stanford Shopping Center. So this is pretty close to me here in San Francisco. It's down in, uh, I can't remember the town actually. Is it Sunnyvale or, it's Palo Alto, I think. Yeah, it's Palo Alto. Um, but like I was down there like getting a coffee between uh, looking at some shops. And sure enough, like you have this giant egg kind of reminds me of a Dalek. Um, I think, I think that's what it is. The, the bad guys in um, Dalek, maybe the bad guys in Dr. Who. Um, but this thing is like a giant white egg and it's just like floating around and beeping and twirling and stuff like that. And um, then of course there's that story of the Chinese one having like this massive stun gun in it. So, um, Again, very cool, very spooky. Um, I, I love the idea, honestly, and I also hate it. Uh, but basically, if you had like a whole bunch of these things roving around and capturing audio and video um, at night where your cars are parked and stuff like that, like I think it would add a lot of security. But I don't know. It's... Um, the idea of some, you know, corporate overlord somewhere monitoring this thing from wherever, India, while these things just rove around and capture who knows what is uh, also pretty startling. But it seems like it's uh, an indicator of what's, of what's coming. <clears throat> Reddit reset um, over 100,000 passwords after a surge in hack, hacked accounts. So... Um, <clears throat> might want to reset your Reddit password. This is going to become a theme, I think. Maybe resetting your password, rotating it frequently, using a password manager, not reusing accounts. Um, I feel like we're going to be talking about this quite a bit. Google to start shaming partners that don't provide quick updates. I love this. Um, I, I think if Google were to apply this type of pressure and basically get their ecosystem in line and uh, increase the speed with which their manufacturers are required to do updates. Um, they could have a really powerful ecosystem. Like they already have tons of cool functionality. They just have a lot of negatives. If they were to fix those negatives. I think they'd have an awesome platform. CEO sacked after a company grounded by a whaling attack. So basically someone got, spearfished, which um, if it's an important person, it's called a whaling attack. So like the CEO of this company gets a phishing email for an account transfer and transfers like multiple millions of dollars to a fake place. So they lose millions. It might've been like $15 million. Can't remember. Maybe it was 150, but it was some crazy amount of money. And basically CEO CEOs fired and the company is in major trouble. So uh, yeah. Validate, 
who you're sending millions of dollars that that's usually my policy. Uh, Marissa Mininski, I probably butchered this name. I feel bad about that. Um, gets $30,000 in Chrome bounties. So basically there've been some competitions recently. Um, one of the competitions is a break into browsers. Um, and this, this uh, researcher just basically devastated Chrome in a number of different ways and made 30 grand. So that's awesome. A security researcher in a recent uh, conference has been talking about um, proposing a five-star rating for IoT security, which I find strange since um, I am the Cavalry, which is head up by um, Josh Corman and Bo Woods and, and uh, my buddies over there. They, they've been talking about five-star rating for a long time. Uh, uh, Brian Knopf as well. Um, I think he's one of the founders of the five-star rating. Um, but basically, um, that group has been talking about five-star for quite some time. Now, their five-star is a little bit different. You can actually have the first and second star, not have the third one, and then have like the fourth one, but not the fifth one. That's the one from I Am the Cavalry. I think this one is more uh, traditional in the sense that, you know, three is worse than four and four is worse than five. But um, either way, it basically, I saw the deck as well. The deck was pretty well put together. And it talked about the precedent of how many other systems have five-star ratings. And uh, it's a great point. I mean, interface is important and people understand what a five-star rating does, what it means you know, that could make a system potentially successful. Um, I wonder if they have reached out to the Calvary though. Well, one problem I, I have right now with IoT security is just everyone's doing something on their own and not really interacting with the other leaders who are also doing projects. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to do is, is get everyone together. The Calvary, you know, Craig over at OTA, um, just all the different groups together. You know, I'm running uh, OWASP stuff with uh, Craig Smith and um, basically get all of us onto a call and just be like, look, you know, why are we doing this all separately? Should we have a monthly call? Uh, you know, every two months have a call. Try and line some of the stuff up. Like you've got all these private industry uh, efforts as well. Then you got the government efforts. And it's like nobody's talking. And, uh, just not super beneficial. It's not going to move things forward nearly as fa as quickly as if uh, we were cooperating. Uh, lots of Twitter passwords being reset, um, potentially some hacks going on uh, or a breach. I, I'm not sure what's going on there. There's just been, there's been a lot of speculation. I've actually had some, um, some, uh, you know, some trips on the wire for my account as well. And I've done some resets. So uh, I, I think there's something going around and uh, you might want to, if you're up for a rotation and you haven't heard yet, maybe consider rotating. And if you have a weak password on Twitter, uh, go ahead and add it to the list of things where you need to be updating the strength of your password. Have it not be something very guessable. Have it in a password manager and uh, be prepared to change it often. And consider doing two-factor as well. 
FBI says to watch out for USB phone chargers in public places. Um, if you're in security or IT probably as well, and you're plugging into random USB ports with your phone, I kind of feel like you deserve what you get. But um, yeah, evidently there's a bunch of uh, key loggers and other sort of malware attacks that are um, taking place through this method uh, in public places. So don't do that. All right. Technology news and articles. Uh, Waverly Labs has a new product that does instant language translation. So you basically have an earpiece in or headphones. And this thing listens, and as the person is talking, it's telling you what they're saying in your language while they're speaking in their language. Incredible. The demo's great. Um, I hope the product's as good as the demo. But, yeah, there's a video out there, Waverly Labs. This is um, Babblefish, right, from Hitchhiker's Guide. This is insane. Um, really cool tech. I love how it'll merge potentially with um, the stuff I'm writing about in my book, which is, you know, digital assistance being so prominent. Um, Apple, Microsoft, and Google hold 23% of all corporate cash. That's insane. Uh, MIT makes incandescent light bulbs more efficient than LEDs. Cool. Just got doing the, done doing the whole apartment in LEDs. Um, so thanks, MIT, for that. Now, I'm sure it'll take some time before whatever they produced gets to the market. And I'm sure LED is fine for most people, but still very interesting. Uh, Japan mandating coding education. So they're going to require programming education early on. That's very cool. They just need to start having sex more. Um, otherwise, there won't be any people to get that coding education. Twitter testing a live streaming feature to attack Periscope. And actually, Facebook is doing this as well. So this is like the new, I guess, social network thing is you always have the option to just live stream from wherever you're at, which I just looked up my article uh, called Life Casting or the future of life casting or something like that. But it was from 2008. So we're coming up on, you know, nine years almost uh, since I wrote about that. And, and I think, honestly, this is a going to happen. I, I don't know when, but what I'm really looking for, the big game change here is um, continuous streaming. It's when you're always broadcasting um, your, your life. And it's not, not necessarily to the public, but to people who matter. And a lot of people will do it to the public. Um, especially when uh, they're being offered money to do so um, because people are able to use what they see and consume what they see and, and find a way to make money off of it. But um, I, I think we're moving to a time when, one, the hardware is going to make it possible, but two, people are going to be more willing to do it, especially younger people. Uber users with low phone batteries are more likely to accept surge pricing Interesting and not surprising. All European scientific articles to be freely accessible by 2020. 
super cool. Goes in line with what I was talking about with public broadcasting of lectures and security conferences. It super bothers me when there's like research out of some university and you click on it and it's like, oh, you got to go sign up or you got to pay for this. And I'm just like, oh man, our, our, our priorities are not in line when education and research and things like that are, are for pay only. Just not cool. I mean, they, they should be rewarded, but not in the sense that only people who can pay can see what they do when it's so important, you know, what they do. And importantly, it's, it's so important for the people who um, need it most, which are the, not the people who can pay for it. All right. Um, Twitter dropping handles and media from character limit. So you're still going to be limited to 140, but your URL and your images and your ads um, where you call out people and hopefully tags as well. I wonder if they'll do that for hashtags. But um, those will be... uh, not part of the limit. So you'll actually have a lot more text to, uh, to write. Um, Apple news and articles, flowers for Siri, (laughs) how Siri got dumber instead of smarter. This is fascinating. This absolutely happened to me. I, I used to be all about telling people to use Siri for this and that, but lately she does not understand what I'm saying. And she returns the dumbest things. Um, maps has seemed to have gotten worse as well. Like I, I search for like something very close by, like it's the only one around I'm in the Bay area and I'll get hits. Um, my last one was, um, I actually took a screenshot, but I didn't pull it up for this, but it was something like a local restaurant. I found the restaurant, but they, the hit that they gave me was in, um, it was in Taiwan. So it was like, I think it mapped me like a boat trip, like plane, like it gave me all these options. The place I wanted was around the corner, named exactly the same. Like super pissed me off. But anyway, I'm an acolyte, so I hope they're working on it. Apple working on Siri and or Apple TV upgrade in the AI space. Um, really looking to or forward to a release um, that that ups their game. I, I have a feeling a lot of Siri's problem is not being able to hear you and understand your words correctly because uh, the Amazon stuff, which I won't say her name because she's listening, but the Amazon stuff um, is really strong. I, I think largely because of the hardware, which is harder to do, of course, in a phone. But but the hardware, the microphones, the directional stuff is really spot on. Picks up really clearly. The speaker is great too. The voice is great. Like it's just a good, you know, vocal interactive experience. And um, I feel that's really lacking. So I, I think that this is what they're going to talk about. This is supposed to actually be at the um, June thirteenth. WWDC um, conference and keynote and announcements and all that. 
Um, hopefully, they're going to talk about this big Siri upgrade. I hope it comes to the, to the phone as well as whatever they're going to do in the home to compete with uh, the Google one and with uh, the Amazon one. All right, miscellaneous news and articles. Um, again, so we, we talked about InfoSec news, then I do technology news, then I do Apple news, which is usually only a couple of things. And then um, miscellaneous news is just really cool stuff out there um, that I think listeners will enjoy. Uh, so boys with more books in the house earn more as adults. I don't know why they did this study only on boys slash men, but, um, but they did. I, I don't know if, uh, I have no idea, sample size or something. I have no idea. They didn't indicate in the article why. But they basically broke down the reading by how many books uh, people had access to at this young age and mapped that to how much money they made. They also controlled for education. So people with more education obviously make more money. But people with more education or even moderately more education who read a lot more and had more books available uh, made way more money, which is super interesting. Uh, I honestly think reading is like the superpower. Um, I did an essay a while back about how when you do not give people education, you not you do not have people reading at an early age, you're basically causing them to be retarded in like a very technical sense because they're not able to experience the world in different ways. They're not able to see the world in different ways when you don't read and when you don't have education. You don't have the context of, of history, you don't have like a, an empathy or a, or a sympathy for different perspectives. And you, you basically locked into like these ruts that are, are functionally the same as retardation, if you think about it. Um, or at least that's the conclusion I came to. And the idea is not to say that, oh, look, these people are retarded. The idea is to say, look, if you do this to someone, that's bad. And we should not tolerate that being done to large groups of people, which is exactly what's happening. And basically, you have the rich and the privileged who are getting this exposure and this, you know, this knowledge and these different perspectives and doing lots of reading and, of course, the education uh, so they can see the world in different ways. And, of course, any stimuli that comes in to them afterwards in the form of a job or an opportunity they're able to see it from multiple angles and take advantage. And it just makes them vastly more equipped to, um, to be successful. And when we don't do that for people, we're letting them down. And uh, I think it's our responsibility to do that. Anyway, what was I even talking about? Um, all right. Oh, that kind of leads me to this one, the next one. People with intellectual disabilities are at increased risk for both violent and sexual victimization. Um, oh, and offending. So you're more likely to be an offender. And when they say intellectual disability, I don't think they mean you didn't have enough books as a kid. I think they're talking about actual disabilities, like super low IQ and that kind of stuff. But um Interesting that it raises your risk significantly, both for being the offender and the victim. 
Um, so that's a really interesting heuristic for, um, for sort of prediction of these sort of things. Alzheimer's possibly related to infections. So this is some crazy stuff. Dementia is one, one of the things I think about a lot because it matters how well I'm able to think. So I'm trying to plan for, you know, 30, 40 years from now. Um, but they're basically saying that dementia or Alzheimer's at least, they, they have these little polyps and I'm not an expert at all at this, so I'm just going to murder it. Absolutely. But basically these little polyps like kind of form around the affected areas. And, and when they do the, the, uh, autopsies, they can see clearly that this exists in the, uh, Alzheimer's patients, you know, post-mortem. And, um, what they're basically saying is that these things might be caused by infection. Um, and there may be a way to, you know, fix that or find it or prevent it or whatever. And that it's just kind of a new angle for them to go down for treatment, which is uh, really cool. All right. Massive infrastructure found for enabling Chinese students to get in and succeed at American colleges. So there's like an entire business ecosystem around cheating for Chinese students, which does not surprise me at all. It's kind of, kind of bothers me and I'm not even going to talk about it because of how much it bothers me. All right. Next one. Education doesn't fix poverty. Um, yeah, this is troubling. Uh, the article basically said that um, there's so many other things that cause poverty, like overpopulation and not enough work and other deeper societal problems that just having more education available or even giving someone more education is not, not necessarily going to fix that, which um, I, th I thought was interesting. Um, somewhat uh, not surprising, but also very interesting. It, you know, it, it's a big problem, right? It, it's not just one thing. I, I, I guess it's a response to people saying education is always the answer. It fixes everything. Well, according to this, it doesn't. Woman's blindness fixed by stem cell treatment. Very promising. Blindness reversed by stem cells. Very, very cool. Standing desks may uh, boost productivity in adults. That's very cool. I have one, but I have so many cords connected, I can't actually raise it right now. Need to fix that in the morning, actually. All right. Next section is exploring ideas. This is the one where basically talk about a few uh, interesting things in a little more detail, which I actually did in this uh, episode uh, while talking about the news. But uh, the first one I have here is um, the title of the podcast, Unsupervised Learning. So it comes from machine learning. And basically there are two types of machine learning, or uh, not just two types, but there are two types. One called supervised learning, and the other called unsupervised learning. And uh, I've only scratched the surface of this. So um, if I mangle it, uh, my apologies. And I'll feel bad about it since it's the title of the podcast. But basically, supervised learning is where you know the answer. And the input is um, 
basically curated in a way that you're either going to get one or the other. So it's, it's, um, it's very controlled input where you're training the algorithm in one direction or another. Okay. And you already know what the output is going to be. And you're just teaching the algorithm. In both cases, that's what we're doing. We're training the algorithm in both supervised and unsupervised. <laughs> All right, sip of water there. Okay, now unsupervised, which is why I named the podcast this, is where the algorithm doesn't know uh, what's going to happen. And actually the person programming the algorithm also doesn't know. It's, it's data that is not structured. It's not supervised. It's, um, the al algorithm is being forced to learn. Uh, I don't want to be too hyperbolic here, but it's, it's learning on its own from new input and uh, trying to come up with trying to find patterns, right? And that's what I love the most. Like this is what gets me excited about just everything is taking new input, having a model, and then finding patterns that are interesting and exploring them. And that's what unsupervised learning is about. And that's why it's the name of this podcast. All right, next one. Threats, threat actors, and risks. All right, so this is an essay I just did last week where um, I was actually at a conference and there were a few talks um, and, and actually I've seen a bunch of YouTube videos, like this has gone on for quite some time. It wasn't just from the conference, but there's lots of different talks and presentations around, uh, threat modeling. And whenever I see a threat modeling talk or a presentation, um, I, you know, it starts with definitions. And then during the course of the talk, I'm hearing them give, you know, this means that, and that means this, and this is different than that. And Usually, probably, I don't know, depending on my mood, I, I would say 80% of the time, they're just mangling these terms, like totally mangling them, um, conflating them, confusing them, uh, switching them around. And usually it comes in the form of uh, using threats and risks interchangeably, right? They're like, oh, there's a risk of this happening. Oh, you have to, there's a threat of this happening. Um, you have to stop the threat, right? You have to threat intelligence. Why is it not called risk intelligence? Has anyone ever asked that, right? So what I did is just break down um, what these actually mean. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Uh, risks. Be doing some live reading here, live Googling. All right, so um, I start off by talking about threats, then threat actors, then vulnerabilities, then risks, right? So those are the sections. So a threat is a negative event that can lead to an undesired outcome, such as damage to or loss of an asset. Threats can use or become more dangerous because of a vulnerability. So in common usage, this one I just added today actually, the word threat is used interchangeably, like in different contexts with both attack and threat actor, right? So sometimes when people like, oh yeah, um, you have to figure out what the threat is or stop the threat. Sometimes they're talking about the person, 
Sometimes they're talking about the attack that's coming at you. But in general, they're talking about a danger. You're trying to stop a danger, right? So a danger is a threat. And that's kind of the encapsulation there. And it gives some examples of threats. An activist tries to steal your data from your website. A fire starts in your data center because natural events can be threats, right? They're both dangers. They're things you're trying to avoid. Um, an administrator accidentally turns off your website, AWS instance. It's not fun. Uh, a flood hits your headquarters. An insider tries to sell your corporate secrets to a competitor. Uh, something negative such as an event or an attack that presents danger to you and that we want to avoid, right? Threat actor, of course, is, is just the thing that's doing the threat. Um, it's the person, actor, entity, or organization that is initiating the given scenario, right? So usually it's used um, for a human-driven thing, like you wouldn't have a threat actor well, you usually don't think of a threat actor as a hurricane uh, because then the hurricane would be the threat and the threat actor would be nature or God. Um, interestingly enough, you do have in law, you have acts of God, uh, which is attribution to a threat actor, I guess, in a religious sense. Not really a law sense, but... Um, I'd say uh, it doesn't usually make sense to talk about threat actors when the event is a flood or an earthquake, for example. And if it does, you probably have a book deal in your future. Yeah, that was silly. All right, examples. Threat actors, hacktivists, cyber criminals, disgruntled insiders, nation states, careless employees, and nature. Vulnerabilities, that one's obvious. It's just a weakness. And then risks. I say are most commonly confused with threats, but they're different in a critical way. A risk in plain language is a chance of something bad happening combined with how bad it would be if it did happen, right? So it's risk equals probability times impact. And here's the cool part. The cause of confusion with threats and risks is that most people use both terms interchangeably as a substitute for scenarios without understanding the difference, right? They say we need to protect against these risks or we need to protect against these threats, which are both the same thing as we need to protect against these scenarios. So it's true that both refer to scenarios. The difference is that a threat is a negative event by itself, whereas a risk is the negative event combined with its probability and its impact. So that's how I broke that down. And I got a blog post there if you want to check it out. All right. Um, next one. Corporations don't want employees. All right. Um, I'll click over there and read a couple of my favorite sentences. This one uh, blew up yesterday. I um, got to the front page of Hacker News and uh, InfoSec Taylor Swift um, she tweets out a good amount of my stuff. I, I like to share her stuff too, especially her uh, fiction writing. I really like her uh, writing about the future. But uh, she shared this out and uh, she had like 300 something uh, retweets on on her post of it. It was uh, really cool. Um, but anyway, 
it's basically about uh, corporations don't want employees is the name of the essay. And um, I actually did a podcast on it a second ago. I, I recorded uh, an audio uh, version of it and put it on the, on the post. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, the, the idea is that uh, one of the bi- biggest expenses to most corporations are the people who work for them. So the whole idea of the post is that companies don't want employees and we should not think that they do. Like it, it's completely crazy. People are like, they think that all of us having jobs is something that just is naturally there or is naturally defended or it's a part of American society. It is not part of American society. And this is not part of the post. Maybe it should be, but I'm just going to rant here for a second. There is no part of American society that is built on jobs. Okay. Um, Well, let me say that differently. American society has been built on people having jobs, but it is not something that's built into the constitution or is built into capitalism or anything like that. In fact, it's the opposite. Capitalism, um, if it had a better solution than Americans having jobs, it would take it. And that's exactly my point is that it's about to take it, right? So it should fail to surprise that we keep losing jobs in America because it's not a temporary dip. It's a change that's completely in line with corporate desires. And here here are a couple of the sentences that I like. The only reason hundreds of millions of people in the United States and elsewhere in the world have jobs at all is because companies have not yet solved the problem of human employment. The problem of human employment. So for most businesses, employing humans is a problem in need of innovative solutions like artificial intelligence, robots, etc. And happily for them, those breakthroughs are finally starting to happen. Then I go on to say, sort of stated differently, the only reason so many millions of people have jobs right this second is because their employers have not yet found a way to fire them. And they are searching, right? So I I think this is fascinating, right? This whole thing about, you know, universal basic income and, oh, we're going to have to pay people. Like, this is real. This is absolutely real that we're going to have this problem. And I, I guess to encapsulate the entire post is just one simple statement. Companies wish they did not have employees. Employees are horrible, horrible things for business. Now, I say in the notes, there are lots of different companies like where I work, where lots of most people in InfoSec work. The company is the employee, right? Their creativity, their innovation is what makes the company work. But think about all jobs in the U.S. and think about all jobs worldwide, That's not most, right? It's very, very few where the employee is the company. In most situations, the employee is the, you know, the wrench turner who's doing this this menial task that allows the company to function. But the moment that is not required, the company will make way more money when that is a computer doing it or it's a robot doing it. 
And, you know, that's going to start off being a small percentage of jobs. Then it's going to be half of them. Then it's going to be most of them. And that is something that we have to prepare for. <laughs> we, we've got to do something about that. And the first step is realizing that it's a problem, which most people do not right now. All right. Next one, how technology hijacks people's minds. So I am obsessed with this guy right now. His name is Tristan Harris. He is a, um, he is a design ethicist. I uh, used to work at Google and he basically, he wrote this post, how technology hijacks people's minds from a magician and Google's design ethicist. This is fascinating. So basically his argument, if I could try and collapse it down, is basically that every mobile app we deal with, every website that we deal with, there, there are triggers in the human brain that have, it, it, basically we have flaws in our brain. Um, slot machines like prey on this thing. If you remember the Star Trek uh, Next Generation episode, where like they put on that Pfizer and like these little things flew into their eyes and they like have this little mini orgasm in, in their brain or whatever. And like they just couldn't stop playing it, right? And it was a way of taking them over. He's basically saying that this is what's happening with our mobile devices and our technology in general is the designers are finding the hooks into our addictive uh, personalities and our addictive sort of design of our brains and they're preying on it. They're, they're abusing it. And he gives these amazing examples. Like the blog post is super long, but you absolutely have to read it. Uh, Medium is really cool. It actually tells you it's 12 minutes to read it, which is a bit long for a post. But anyway, so where does technology exploit our minds and weaknesses? Um, so I'm going to scroll down and read a few of these. Hijack number one. If you control the menu, you control the choices. So Oh, last, um, last year at DEF CON, uh, we were at this one table. It was me and Haddix and um, uh, Sasha, if you guys know Sasha. Um, and I forget who else was there, but we, we were hanging out. And this guy comes over, or maybe he was already at the table. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a magician. There's a magician conference starting right after DEF CON. And I just wanted to come check out the hackers or whatever. So we start talking to him about security and he busts out a, a, um, a deck of cards and he starts showing us magic. And we, we have a, like a three hour conversation about the convergence and the overlap between hacking and um, magic and how it's all about, and magic is all about perceptions and controlling what people see. And it's like hacking the brain basically. And like, I've been super excited about this, this conversation ever since then. In fact, I connected with a guy on Twitter, just talked to him a couple of days ago. But um, one of the things was this first point. If you control the menu, you control the choices. So he'd be like, hey, pick a card. And then, so, so what he did, I probably won't say his name in case he gets in trouble or something. I don't know how all them crazy magicians work, but... He basically walked us through like five tricks and showed us exactly how it works and showed us the mental 
vulnerability that causes it to work. And the biggest one was when he's presenting options, he's controlling, he knows what you're probably going to pick. And it makes it look like you have more choice than you actually do. And that's what was so damn cool about it. Um, So great choice number one, great choice number two, great choice number three. Question on the right, what's not on the menu? You don't think about what's not on the menu because you're looking at choices. And this is like a big flaw that we have as humans. So I'm scrolling down. You should read that part. It's really cool. Um, Number two, put a slot machine in a billion pockets. Um, The average person checks their phone 150 times a day. Why do we do this? Are we making 150 conscious choices? No, we're not. We're not making conscious choices. We are, oh, he he equates the pull down for a refresh, like on Twitter, to a pulling of the the, uh, arm on the slot machine. Dude, I'm telling you, this is like the blog post. You have to read this thing. It's so epic. Um, All right. Hijack number three, fear of missing something important. FOMSI, F-O-M-S-I. That's so epic, right? They're preying on, on you with this. Number four, social approval. Hijack number four, social approval. You need that shit. So you gotta, you gotta be in your app all the time. Hijack number five, social reciprocity, tip for tat. Do you owe me a favor? Do you say thank you? Send me an email. You follow me. So good. Um, next one. Instant interruption versus respectful delivery, right? They want to send you notifications. It stops your flow. It stops you from doing whatever you're doing and says, I demand you look at me. Okay, number eight, bundling your reasons with their reasons. Number nine, inconvenient choices. If you don't like it, you can always use a different product. If you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe. (laughs) If you're addicted to our app, you can always uninstall it from your phone. (laughs) Inconvenient choices, hack number nine. That's awesome. All right, next one. Oh, never mind. Summary and how we can fix this. Um, So here's a top highlight, which is a cool feature of Medium, by the way. We need our smartphones, notification screens, and web browsers to be exoskeletons for our minds and interpersonal relationships that put our values, not our impulses first. People's time is valuable and we should protect it with the same rigor as privacy and other digital rights. So epic, must read this thing. You also need to follow this guy in general, Tristan Harris, awesome name as well. All right, Um, I was gonna talk about karma risk management, but I feel like the episode's getting a little long. I'm going to postpone that for probably its own episode, actually. And I'm going to go on to InfoSec tools. Lazy Map is an NMAP to SS, Nessus parser. So basically it does an NMAP scan, finds the open ports, and then creates a Nessus policy that only scans for those open ports. So it doesn't do its own port scan. That's pretty cool. Um, Halcyon, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, it's an NMAP script IDE. So you know how you could write like NSE scripts in NMAP? Well, this is an IDE for doing that. PTF, the Pentester's Framework, 
This is by Dave Kennedy. And um, it's basically all these different pen test tools and you update it as a framework and it goes and gets all the updates for all the different tools and keeps them up to date, which is super cool. Announcements. Uh, I'll be presenting at Black Hat Arsenal in Vegas this year. I'll be at DerbyCon. Um, I'm about five chapters in to my book, which is titled Future. Hoping to have this thing out within like a month, hopefully, or at least done within a month. Who knows how long it'll take it to get on Amazon. Um, summary and recommendations. Make sure you either have a password manager or a very strong password scheme. I tend to use schemes more than password managers. Um, I, they're stronger. They have more of a cognitive burden on the person, but I'm cool with that right now. Um, make sure you have backups. And number three, make sure your loved ones have these things as well. Again, either a password manager or a strong password scheme with multiple levels for low security passwords and high security passwords. Um, and good backups, otherwise, well, and patching, otherwise they're going to get owned by ransomware and it's going to be your fault. Recommended content, a whole bunch of stuff from Tristan Harris. And then the A16Z podcast, which I basically recommend every episode. And I recommend it again this, this episode. Inspiration. Here I do quotes or aphorisms. Um, so here are three for this episode. <clears throat> Imagination is the one weapon in the war against reality. Jules de Gaultier. An honest politician is one who, when he is bought, will stay bought. Simon Cameron. A friend might be well reckoned the masterpiece of nature. I like that one. Let me say it again. A friend might well be reckoned the masterpiece of nature. Ralph Waldo Emerson. All right. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and share it, blog about it, whatever social media, uh, reviews on iTunes, all that good stuff. And I will see you next time.